Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. So I want to ask you this question. What does it mean to be a Christian? When you think of the word, like what comes to mind? Like, oh, this is how we define that. Like, this is what it means to be a Christian. Now, I'm curious if some of the things that come to mind are like, well, I I go to church, or maybe I'm a part of a Bible study or a small group. Like, I do some of these church activities. I pray before my meal, something like that. I'm wondering if it's something that you've received from your family. Like, you grew up going to church, like your parents are Christians, so you're a Christian too. Like, is it something that is defined by our, our heritage, like where we come from? Or maybe we're to follow a set of like moral principles or, or, you know, like kind of ascribe just a set of beliefs. Like, is this what it means to be a Christian? What is it? Maybe it's something like we're to act a certain way or to kind of carry ourselves a certain way. People look at us and they, they see us saying certain things or doing certain things. Is it that? Maybe it's the bumper sticker on the back of your car. Like, maybe that's the defining mark. Like, what, what is it that defines being a Christian? Maybe it's the way you vote. You have to vote a certain way if you're a Christian, and and those two things go together. Maybe it's you spend time with certain people. Maybe it's you've prayed a prayer, and you know you're going to heaven. Like, what is it that defines being a Christian? Now, I I wonder if you're sensing, like, okay, none of these are probably the right answer, right? Like, why is he asking? Yes, in some sense. But, now, don't hear me say some of these things are good and and important. But what is it that essentially defines being a Christian? We're in this series in the Gospel of Mark. We just started it last week. We're we're diving in, and we're going to spend the the several weeks of this fall in the first half of the book of Mark. And we're going to look through the lens of discipleship. What we want to see is what does it mean for us to be disciples of Jesus? And that's why we have this little tagline here on the graphic. We want to be with Jesus. We're being with Jesus to become more like him. Because that's what defines discipleship. It's like becoming more like Jesus. And and we're doing this series to, to dive deeper into that as individuals, but also as a church. We want to go after this collectively, like the way that we do church, like how we do things, the things that we choose to do. We want that to be characterized by this goal of being with Jesus to be more like him. And so if you were with us last week when we kicked the series off, we we started in the book of Mark, the beginning chapter, and we looked at Jesus coming onto the scene. You know, John shows up, he's like, he's coming, he's coming, and then Jesus is here, And he's baptized, he he goes into the wilderness, and he comes back and he announces a summary of the gospel. And it was this, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. And Jesus offers this to us as a summary of what the gospel is all about. And so if you weren't here last week, I encourage you, go go listen to that message, because we unpack that a bit more. But then we also showed you this image, which is going to be a really helpful lens for us. It's an upside-down triangle. And it's a way for us to see and understand what Jesus is calling us to. I think a lot of times, we've lived in this reality of like, okay, i got to know the right things, the word, the knowledge realm, like, okay, what's happening here? 
And then I got to do the right things. That's the works. Like I got to do what Jesus told me to do. And we kind of stay there. And we have this assumption that if we know the right stuff, then we're going to do the right stuff. But I'm wondering if you've done that for a while, if you've sensed how that's lacking. Like it doesn't quite get there. There's something missing. And that's where the rest of the triangle comes in. See, if we just operate on the top, we're missing really the heart of what Jesus is trying to get after. And we call the heart, we call the core of our being the way. We want to be the way that Jesus is. We want to go the way that he is. We want to operate in the way that he does. And what the way is, is it's the realm of the heart. It's the core of our being. It's what's happening on the inside, deep down, the level of our motivations, our desires, like what is truly driving us. Jesus wants to know what he taught, and we want to do the the things that he's telling us to do, but we've got to do it in the right way. And how we get there matters. That's why we're using this image as a lens to see what Jesus is calling us to. And so go back and listen to last week if you didn't catch that and we explain this a little bit more. But we're going to use this moving forward to help us see how is Jesus calling us to be. So back to our question today. What does it mean to be a Christian? Maybe it's not quite the things we think it means. Or maybe it's just radically more simple than we realize. What does Jesus say the answer to that is? Well, let's look. I invite you, if you would, turn to the book of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to finish the chapter from right where we left off from last week. So Mark, chapter 1, beginning at verse 16. And uh, if you're kind of getting used to your Bible, so Mark is one of the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. It's kind of the back third of your Bible. So you've got Matthew and then Mark. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 1 beginning at verse 16. And so what I want to do today in the sermon is is look at these first four verses of this chunk, and we're going to spend a lot of time there, and then we're going to kind of quickly go through the rest of the chapter and tie those things together. So um, beginning at verse 16, you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. As Jesus walked along beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So what we see here in these first four verses is is something that's, uh, I would say, the implication of the kingdom coming. So what I want to do is remind you, again, Jesus came. He said, the kingdom of God is near. And what happens next is this story. We see that Jesus says, like, the kingdom of God is here. And so here's one of the implications. It's this. And what happens after this. So I want to kind of open this up a little bit, kind of pick it apart. What's happening here? See, what Jesus is doing, he's, he's calling some people to follow him. So he goes along the sea and he sees some fishermen. And what Jesus says to them is this language, come, follow me. Come, follow me. 
Now, this is a loaded phrase. What, what I don't think he's saying is like, hey, come follow me. I want to take you on a quick trip. We'll be back in a couple of hours, and, and then we'll get back to the life as normal. Like, no, no, no. This is a deep invitation. You see, what Jesus is doing here is he's coming to these guys, and he says, come and follow me. They knew what this meant. What Jesus is doing here is inviting them to follow him as a rabbi, as a teacher. Because that's what a rabbi is. In, in Jewish culture, a rabbi is a teacher, one who leads and, and teaches disciples, those who are following him. And so that's what he's doing here. He's extending an invitation for them to follow him as a rabbi. Now, I don't think um, this is the first interaction these guys have probably had with Jesus. In Mark, like, he's just running through the story really quick. In other Gospels, we kind of catch hints that they might have interacted with Jesus. I think that's true. I think they knew who Jesus was. I think they knew kind of what he was about. He's kind of shown up, and, and things are starting to happen. And so when Jesus comes to them, I don't think this is their very first interaction. I think there was a little bit of history here. But at the same time, they hadn't spent a lot of time with him. Like, they, things were starting to happen. They were hearing some stuff, maybe observed some things. But, like, who is this guy? And he shows up right along the lake. He says, come and follow me. And this invitation to follow him as a rabbi was, again, not something like, hey, let's go to school for a couple of hours. You can go home after that. Like, I'm going to teach you some stuff. Like, this was an invitation to go with him in his ministry. They are leaving everything behind. This is a call to all of life being oriented to this. It wasn't a, hey, we're going to do a part-time job here, or, you know, like, I'm going to just spend a little bit of time with you. Like, you are leaving your nets. You're going to come be my disciples. Will you come? That is the invitation. This is an all of life. They are giving themselves to this. I also want to highlight one other thing. Normally, when a rabbi has some students, has some disciples, those students are the ones who come to the rabbi. They come and say, hey, I'd like to learn un under you. Can you give me an invitation to do that? And the rabbi would consider and you know, weigh different things and would or would not extend an invitation. What Jesus is doing here is he is seeking them. He's coming to them right where they are and says, will you come follow me? Not the other way around. He's doing it backwards. Jesus is coming after them. So he says, come and follow me. But he doesn't stop there. He says something else. I will send you out to fish for people. I will send you out to fish for people. And I think that's a good translation, but uh, I actually want to give you like my translation a little bit more literal from the Greek. And, and I want to Capture it this way, I will make you to become fishers of people. The NIV captures a, a good part of what's going to come, like he's going to send them out. That's going to happen, yes, and I think that's a choice you can make. But I love the literal translation here. I will make you to become fishers of people. Notice that this tight little sentence contains identity and mission. He's like, I'm going to make you into somebody. I'm going to make you into this kind of person. You will become someone. You're going to become fishers of people. 
Like there's transformation, there's identity. It's like the core of who we are. This is present in what Jesus is inviting them to. But then he's also saying like, you're going to go do something. You're going to go fish for people. And, and notice he's connecting the dots for them, right? They're fishermen. They know what it's like to fish. Like they, they do that every day. Like they're skilled at it. He's like, I want you to take that idea and translate it to this. You're going to do something like it, but it's going to be new. But he's meeting them where they are. Like he's connecting the dots for them. You're going to be fishers of people. So he's giving them identity and mission. But notice too, they're doing or going to do what Jesus is doing. Is he not fishing for them right now? Is he not casting out his nets and catching them? Essentially what he's calling them to do is to do what he's already doing. You see, Jesus is showing them and telling them, here's what's going to happen. Will you come and follow me? He's giving them identity, he's giving them mission, and he's showing them what it's going to be. And so I think what we see happening here is that the implication that the kingdom and the king is near is that it produces these kinds of people. People who are going to go fish for other people. And so maybe to come back to our question Here's how I think Jesus is pointing us to the answer. What does it mean to be a Christian? A follower of Jesus. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's a follower of Jesus. It's that simple and yet that complicated. See, what Jesus is calling us to is not to be churchgoers, not to subscribe to a set of beliefs. What he's calling us to is to follow him. Because these guys, they were fishermen. They didn't really know who Jesus was. They didn't know he's going to be crucified, he's going to raise on the third day, and these are the, like, they didn't know any of that. Maybe they had a little glimpse about some of the things he was doing or about to do, but the invitation was, come and follow me, I'm going to teach you along the way. That's the call. What it means to be a Christian is, is one who's following after Jesus. You know, there's a phrase that would often be thrown around. It's not in the Bible, but it's in other ancient texts around the time. So when a disciple, when a follower would go with a rabbi, they would literally be walking along the road. They'd be talking along the way. They'd do things together. And, and it was one of those things that as you did that, if you were following your rabbi closely, you'd be covered in their dust. You see, the roads were dusty, they were dirty, they'd kick up rocks and debris and all that stuff, and dust, but just as you're walking, it's floating everywhere. If you're following your rabbi closely enough, you're covered in their dust. That is what Jesus is calling us to, to be covered in his dust. We're looking more and more like him, we're doing things with him, we're going with our teacher, and he's showing us what life is like. Will we be covered in his dust? That's the picture. And so when people look at us, do they see him? Do they see the reflection of this teacher, the one who we're following? Do we see our rabbi? That's the picture here. So let me kind of play this out. Like, what, is Jesus, what does following Jesus actually look like? What, what is it not? Let's start there. So when we say, be a follower of Jesus, what is it not? It is not simply just a piece of the pie. 
In, in, in your schedule, in your life, like all the things that you do, it is not just one slice. Like, okay, Sunday is my, my Jesus time, and okay, I do it then. And then the rest of the week, I've got my other things, got work, family. Yeah. It is not just a slice of the pie. That's not the call. It is also not just something that's in the middle of your priority list. It's like, okay, I've got this here, but, you know, like, work comes first, or family, like, my family's really important, that's a good thing, you know, or kids' soccer schedule, like, it's not the middle of your priority list. It's also not having everything figured out. As we already alluded to, like, they knew something about Jesus, but they really didn't know anything of substance. Like, he hadn't had time to teach them. They didn't know the gospel. They didn't know all the details. They hadn't fleshed everything out. It's not... Those who've done all the work, okay, you know enough, now you can come follow me. It's not having everything figured out. And it's also not for the elite. Jesus did not call the cream of the crop Pharisees. He didn't go to the Sanhedrin and say, okay, you three are good enough. Like, it's not the top echelon. It's not only for the elite. There's probably some other things we can add to this list, but this is what following Jesus is not. Following Jesus is this. It impacts everything. When we follow Jesus, it's not just a slice of the pie, but it encompasses all of life. Because what they did is they left their nets. They began following him. They went on life's journey with him. Like everything was oriented to this. It impacts all of life. It's not just some little compartment over here. It's also not the middle of the priority list. It is at the core of everything that we are and do. It's at the top. It's number one above everything else, even good things like our families, our spouses, our jobs, things that we really truly care about in the right way. It's above that. It's at the core of who we are. It has to do with the deep down kinds of essentials of us as individuals. It's not the middle of the priority list. It's at the top. It's also learning along the way. That's what they did. Come and follow me. I don't know anything. Great, I'll teach you along the way. That is discipleship. That is following Jesus. It's learning with him, learning from him along the way. We don't have to have everything figured out. And it's also for everyone. It's for you. It's for me. It's not for the Navy SEAL Christians. It's not for those who have like gone through every test and passed. This is for everyone. These guys were fishermen. They were tradesmen. They were just everyday kinds of guys. Jesus called them. It's for everyone. It's not only for those who have the special skills to do it. This is what following Jesus is. And this is what he's calling us to. The call to these guys is the same call to us. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. I'll show you along the way. I'm going to give you an identity. I'm going to give you a mission. We're going to do this along the way. So Jesus is calling us to follow him. And he's calling us to follow him, to join him in the ministry that he's about to do. And that's what I want to talk about next. So we get this call of these four guys. They leave their nets. They start following Jesus. Well, what happens next? 
See, he says, come and follow me. I want you to do what I'm going to do. I want you to do what I'm about to do. Come follow me and let's do this together. So what, what happens next? Following Jesus means we're learning from him to do what he did. And so here's the way I want to capture it. I want to summarize what happens in the rest of chapter, uh, chapter 1 like this. Jesus is bringing the kingdom. He's bringing the kingdom. The announcement of the gospel, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Let me show you. And the first thing he does is he gets followers. And then what does he do? So I'm going to kind of run through what happens next in the rest of the text. So we're not going to put the words on the screen because I'm going to kind of walk through it quickly. But verse 21. They went from Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. See, what they would normally do is they'd hear some rabbis get up and they'd teach, and they'd be citing other rabbis. Like, oh, so-and-so said this, and I, and I agree, like, that, that's right. Or they'd cite the traditions, like, here's where I get this from. They're citing their sources. They're, they're saying, like, here is where it's coming from. They're looking to others for their authority. Jesus comes in and says, I tell you. I'm not referencing what he says or what he says. Like, I tell you. There's his authority. He himself has it. And he's showing them the way that things are supposed to be. He's showing them God's way. And so they're amazed at this. Like, people don't talk like that. And they're paying attention. And what he's doing is he's teaching them about the kingdom. He's teaching them about God's reign and rule, what it looks like to follow him. He's teaching. Notice what else happens. Verse 23. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. See, right here what we see is this man who's in the synagogue. Notice, this man's in the synagogue. And he's got an impure spirit. He's got a demon in him. And Jesus comes in and says, leave. And he does. And Jesus is demonstrating the power of the kingdom as one that has power over the spiritual realm. All of these things that we can't see, like the kingdom has authority and power over that, and it brings freedom. So any of these things that are working against him, these demons, and all, including Satan himself, he has no power over the kingdom, no power over the king, and he has authority. And what he's doing is he's liberating this world. This is a battle right here, and Jesus has victory. There's liberation, there's freedom in the spiritual sense. But notice what else happens next. The people were all amazed and began to ask each other, what is this, a new teaching, one with authority? He even gives orders to the impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly all over the region of Galilee. And as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many 
who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let them speak about who he was. And so what we see is he's casting out this demon, but then he goes to Simon's mother-in-law. She's sick, and he heals her. And here he's demonstrating the kingdom's power over the physical to restore life and flourishing. Death is a consequence of sin, and it's not supposed to be that way. The kingdom breaking in is undoing the power of death and disease, restoring life, restoring flourishing. But notice, jump down, there's more to the story. So jump down to verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Then notice what Jesus says. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See to that you don't tell anyone this, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And so we get this language here with this man with leprosy, cleansing. He healed him physically, but there was an additional component. There was cleansing. What Jesus is talking about here, pointing to, is now there is restoration to his access to the Lord. As a leper, he was barred from religious life. He couldn't go into the temple. He, he was ritually unclean. Didn't necessarily mean he was wrong, but he just couldn't be there. Now Jesus is saying, you are clean. You have access. Go to the temple. Go to the priest and show yourself and be restored. The kingdom has power to restore access to the Lord. Jesus is demonstrating, here's what the kingdom looks like. But notice, did you catch some of the extra language that was in there? After these healings, after all that's taking place, people start to get wind of this, and they start bringing people to him, and like his fame is spreading. But he keeps saying, no, 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 don't tell people, don't tell people. I think that's because Jesus knew there was a right way to do this. Having all the people, having all the fame was a temptation for him. You see, those 40 days in the wilderness was not the only time he was tempted. I think every time he did a healing, every time people were amazed, they're like, who is this guy? Is, is he going to be the to one to overthrow Rome? Is he our king? And, and are they going to make him the kind of king he's not supposed to be? It was tempting. And so what did Jesus do about that? Jump back to verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, everyone is looking for you, they exclaimed. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. You see, he's showing them there's a right and wrong way to do this. Everyone's looking for you. Like, don't you want the fame? No. I want to go back to my father. I want to spend time with him. I want to reorient myself to his mission. It's not what I want. It's not being the kind of king that I might want to be. I'm going to be his kind of king. I'm going to do it his way. And the way that Jesus did that is he went to the father to pray. This is what he's stepping into. It's this kind of kingdom. 
Jesus is bringing the kingdom. As a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, we do what Jesus did. We're learning to do the things that Jesus does. And so I think an implication of what we see here is that we continue bringing the kingdom by the power of the Spirit. Like what Jesus is doing, we carry on that work. We demonstrate the power of the kingdom. We bring freedom and liberation. We help people step into relationship with the Father. We cast our nets to fish for people. So what Jesus does, we do. We carry on his work, his ministry. We carry on the things that he's doing. He's saying there is now power to step back into the life that God has called us to. This is what it's showing us. We're learning to follow him, to do what he does, to carry the ministry forward by the power of the Spirit. We see he's calling us to follow him. So, bottom line for today, follow Jesus. That's the simple call. It's not more complicated than that. It's not more, you know, grandiose. It's not more complex. It's just follow him. And yet it is one of the hardest things we're going to do. But it's not about the destination. It's not about arriving. It's not about getting into heaven. No, the kingdom of God is near. It's not coming, though it is coming. It's near. It's inaugurated right now. Like, you can start having it right here. It's about the journey walking with Jesus. So that's the invitation to follow him. So what does this look like? I want to just throw you a few questions to help you kind of diagnose, like, okay, where am I with this? Like, here's the call, follow Jesus. But, like, how do we know? How, how am I doing? Or what's the measure that I can take to, to measure this? So let me just ask you this first question. Where are you? Like, what, what is your status with this whole following Jesus thing? Maybe this is all brand new information. You're like, I'm still not sure what I think about Jesus. Like, I haven't even really started. Awesome. That's okay. You're actually on the way if you're even asking the questions. And Jesus is right there. But maybe you have, like, said, okay, I, I, I want to do this kind of thing. Like, it's been true for a while. Are you just doing church activities? You come on Sunday morning occasionally or maybe a lot. You're part of a Bible study. Are you, are you just checking a box? It's like, oh, I'm doing my thing. Or are you really trying to pursue Jesus through those things? Now, don't get me wrong. Like, come to church. Yes, that's a good thing. Be a part of a life group, a Bible study. Yes, those are good things. But where's your heart in that? Are you just like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Or am I pursuing Jesus in this? Those are two different things. What is your motivation? Why are you doing what you're doing? Maybe you've never pursued discipleship with Jesus. Like you just, you've been doing this because you're supposed to. Now is a chance for you to step into that new reality. The call, follow me, learn from me, be with me so I can show you the way. Is that what you're doing? Or maybe you did that before, but you've kind of gotten off track. You can get back on. Like, Jesus never left. Maybe you're st standing still on the road. He's just there waiting. 
He's ready to keep going when you are. Or maybe this is already true for you, and you just need to hear that fresh call to keep going, persevere, push through, because there will be moments it gets hard, right? The road gets rocky. you got to climb some hills. Like, follow. Where am I? Why am I doing what I'm doing? What is my goal here? Where are you? Number two, what's getting in the way? Maybe just to say, like, okay, I'm not where I want to be, or I feel like Jesus is calling me to more. Great. What's in the way? Is it because that following Jesus or this whole, whole Christian thing is middle of the priority list? You've got a whole bunch of things. There's like 10 things in front of it. Maybe you need to put it at the top. You need to start ordering your schedule around this. Now, I'm not saying do a bunch more stuff, but what comes first? When you get out your calendar, what do you schedule first? What's priority? Where you're giving the most attention and energy. Are you orienting things around this, or is this being oriented to other things? Maybe you're just really comfortable. Like, yeah, I kind of like how it's working. You know, not too hard, not too easy, just right. You know, like, I like where it is. Maybe you need to step into a little bit more uncomfortable. Step into that threshold where it's like, ooh, I don't like how this feels. Ah, that might be a good spot. Or maybe you're afraid. There's something here that just, I don't want to push into that because I know it's going to be hard or I'm not going to like what I see or I don't know that I'm good enough. I'm probably not going to succeed. Like when Jesus starts to get into all of this, like, He's not going to like it, and he might run away. I mean, is there some kind of fear that's saying, like, I can't do this? Jesus already knows. There's nothing about us that he doesn't see. He knows more about us than we do. And he's not running away. There's nothing that scares him. There's nothing that drives him away. He is right there. Don't let fear be a barrier to you. So what is this? What is the barrier? If you can name that, if you can identify and say, like, here's what it is, how do you walk around it? How do you go around that barrier? How do you remove it and say, like, all right, Jesus following you is front and center? Number three, how will you step forward? Maybe you're at the starting line. You've like, I've not done this before, and I'm not sure yet. Okay, That's all right. How will you step forward? Maybe it's into step one. Or maybe it's step 25. You've been doing this a long time. But you still, you're still going forward. Like, what's your next step? Just throw some ideas out here, kind of spaghetti on the wall sort of thing. Like maybe here's, a, here's an idea. Like read Mark. Read Mark where we are. So like during the week, like four or five times, read either the text that we just explored in our sermons or, or maybe read ahead a little bit and see where we're going to go and just read it a few times. Like next week, we're going to look at Mark 2, 1 through 12. Read that. Read that a few times. Like do it four or five times during the week and just meditate on it. Like, hmm, this is a question I've got or I see this. Or read Mark. Like get into what we're talking about here. Maybe that's a great place for you to start. Maybe if you pray regularly, I don't know if you include this in your prayers, like, Jesus, I invite you to challenge me. I mean, ask him, like, give me something here, like, challenge me, push me a little bit, because he will. And granted, it might be hard, 
but he's only going to do what's good for us, what we need. So are you asking him? Are you inviting him? Challenge me, Lord. Like, are you praying that way? I encourage you, give that a try. Where are there places that you could sacrifice? Are there some things that are kind of getting in the way and you just need to say, like, I'm going to lay that down? Because what we see, the journey that Jesus takes is one of sacrifice. It's laying down one's life. Are we sacrificing? Maybe you need to circle up with some other people. Like you're trying to do this on your own. It's kind of a solo thing. Like have other people in your life. Get a group of people around you. Like join together and spur one another, encourage one another. Like, hey, let's do this together, right? Do this in a company. Now, I'll say that one of the things we want to do as a church is get better at our small groups. We want to reinvest in our life group ministry. Now, if everywhere say like, yep, I want to do that, we could probably get some people, but we're not ready for everybody. But that's a commitment I'm making to you. Like, we're going to build this up because we see the value in small groups, people getting together to encourage one another in the faith. We want to go after that. But you don't have to wait. Like, get some other people. Like, hey, let's start meeting and just share. How is Jesus challenging you? How can I encourage you and help you along the way? Choose to pursue this with other people. So, Church family, bottom line, follow Jesus. It's that simple and that hard. This is what we're called to do. We're called to follow Jesus. We're going to learn from him to do what he's doing. And by the power of the Spirit, he's going to bear fruit through us. Church family, this is what we want to commit to as we move forward in this next chapter. Regardless of what's coming, regardless of, of what decisions are made and how things make play out, I am convinced that this is one of the things that we're going to do. We are going to follow Jesus. We're going to go after him. We're going to be covered in his dust. We're going to look like him. That's what we're going after. And so will you go after that? Will you commit even today, whether it's the very first time or for the thousandth time, I want to follow Jesus. I want to take that next step. Follow Jesus.